This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network, we are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the Podcast of Champions talking all things Pac-12 football. Kind of a light week for Week 8 in Pac-12. We had some exciting games, though, so that'll be fun. We're going to recap all of those and answer all of your questions as we head in towards the back half, back third of the Pac-12 football schedule. Uh, but I'm in studio with David Woods. We are once again uh, simulcasting or streaming live on our YouTube channel. I know we didn't do it on Thursday because something was going on. I was traveling or whatever. Uh, but we're back, David. You can see our faces again. You can. You can. Uh, describe to me your uh, typical facial expression upon reading uh, the peristyle the last, I don't know, say, day and a half. Oh, it's been insanity. No, no. Just give us, give us facial expressions. Oh, uh, okay. So this is me reading? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that a good one? That's that, good. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> um, what, what are you typically saying to yourself? You can just mouth it. You know, the thing, um, oh, mouthing. Yeah, yeah. It should be a lot of. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, under your breath. Yeah. Swear words. You know, we moderating did, a message board after a loss is one of the worst experiences. We do this for a living, obviously. Yeah. And uh, I think what people don't quite get, and sometimes you're, you have more of a, <laughs> a heavy history. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, yeah. You've okay. been banned yourself a lot from things like, I don't know, UCLA football, Twitter account and stuff. My, I always have like a similar – my approach to like someone will write you and be like, oh, my God, I was banned. I've been a member for 50 years. I'm so pissed off. I'm the most loyal USC fan ever. Screw you. I'm canceling. I think you're the worst piece of garbage that's ever and, – and I don't even know what happened. Like, like they're coming in like guns blazing and I'm like, uh, oh, no, you just entered the wrong password. And usually I just like write and be like, hey, thanks for writing in you weren't banned or whatever it was. And I just kind of like calmly address them. And then they instantly, or most of the time instantly back off. I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like they don't realize like we're a real person. That's like writing to them. They're just like writing some bot or something. What people don't realize about me 
is that I'm um, so a typical person posting on a message board. They're insane, right? And I don't. This is not a judgment. They don't realize about me is that I'm also crazy, <laughs> um, and so they think they've got kind of carte blanche with like their way of posting all this kind of stuff that I'm not going to notice. I've got an encyclopedic understanding of like each one of the people who post on our message board. Like I know what camp they're in. I know who they fight with. I know the kind of shit they talk about the site or whatever. So I've got all that backstory going into any experience with one of these guys. You don't do that. You, you're much more sane. You don't have quite that mental illness. I try not to. Yeah. Um, it's funny. We have, uh, so we're, we might have a little issue recording the podcast. So that's good. Why? I don't know. Like I'm hitting, uh, I was hit record in Audacity, didn't forget to record, and it just wasn't recording. And I hit it a couple of times, it's just like stuck. So the podcast might not get up for a little while or if they'll like download oh, the God. Uh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. All right. we'll, let's we'll, let's let's get a move on. We got we got a lot to do. We have a lot to get to um on the podcast of champions. Uh you can email us. We've got a bunch of emails this week again, packed with podcasts at gmail.com. You can call or text us at 424-532-0678. We got how many voicemails we got? Like two voicemails today, so that'll be fun. Um, if you want to leave us a uh, message over on Twitter, David won't read it, but I'll try to, uh, at Pac-12 Podcast. And the website is Pac-12Podcast.com, where all of our content is up. If you saw some weird discrepancy in the show last week, it's because David put it up and not me. So my apologies for that. Um, Why? Mine was better. Was it better? Yeah. Oh, I, do, should, okay. I do a much cleaner edit than you do. You should do, much, you should do more of this. Though. No, That'd I don't so. Uh, over on the Apple Podcasting app, if you follow us and rate us five star there, stars there, we will not send you a jockey gift card, but we will be forever grateful. Do we have any new ones? Oh, uh, reviews? Yeah. Let me see. Uh, we do have a few. All right. This is from... It was on top of things, obviously. Southsider. Uh, it's a five-star review. During your preview, during your preview last week, you guys were comparing Oregon schedule versus Washington schedule, and you said Texas Tech was better than Arizona. I'm going to need you guys to take that back. I know it's irrelevant, but as an Arizona fan, I've learned to celebrate the small things. You guys are doing great things, going to miss the show when all the teams move on to their new conferences. I take it back. Arizona's done a lot better since then, too. Yeah. Uh, I did not say that. That was David. Yeah, it was me. Uh, five star from <laughs> Flick Daddy. Killing it. These two are near and dear to my black heart, as we all love killing. Dave loves killing vibes and killing ham. Denny killing ham, that is. <laughs> Ryan loves killing trips to Catalina and Pac-12 football game picks for the good folks at mybookie.com. I love killing conferences. Viva LeBurn. And then finally... From KR18740, nostalgic. The year was 2008. The location was Martin Stadium in Pullman, Washington. The game was the Apple Cup, or as other people like to call it, the Crapple Cup. The vibes were at an all-time low. I was just 15 years old. Don't worry, my mom assured me. The Huskies are definitely going to get a win today. They didn't. It took two overtimes to decide the worst Apple Cup in history. We trudged back to the car through, uh, through the Pullman snow to see something written in shaving cream on the rear window. O-N-12. I've been searching for that feeling ever since. Even though I went to USC during the Kiffin, Coach O, Helton, Sarkeesian, Helton again era, I've never quite recaptured the feeling I had during that Apple Cup until I found this podcast. Ryan and Dave make sure to follow every Pac-12 team to give us the important content we deserve. Their coverage highlights include 2022 Colorado, 2017 Oregon State, every Stanford and Cal, quote, home game, and hopefully 2024 Rutgers. They constantly work hard to make sure the listeners know which team is ferocious and whether or not Stanford is butt. They are. Make sure to listen to this podcast if bad football makes you feel something and you never want to follow a team that makes it to the college football playoff. 
ferocious. Yeah. That was beautiful. Good stuff. Good. Uh, and we had a my bookie uh, mention in there in the, in one of the reviews. So we appreciate that because I got to talk about my bookie because that's what we do. We're going to do our picks today. I finally got off the snide and uh, and had a good week. So that was good. So it helped my my bookie account over there. Because, um, you know, when there's money on the line, David, you want a trusted sports book that gives you all the tools to win, like my bookie. Finally had a winning, it's been a couple of weeks, I had a good winning uh, week this weekend. Uh, my bookie, it doesn't matter if your team is up or down, you can easily cash out or bet the game live to come out on the winning side. Uh, you can use the my bookie uh, daily odds boosts. They have same game parlays to take advantage of their huge prize pool contests. Plus, over at my bookie, you got to use our promo code PAC12. There is a no-strings-attached cash bonus. lets you deposit and withdraw quickly. So use promo code PAC12 on your first deposit and receive up to 200 bucks in cash. That's promo code PAC12 to get your cash bonus now. Remember, I like to do this too. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only at my bookie. And I was so close, David, where we're going to talk about these games. And I, I sent you mad texts of how pissed off I was about a garbage touchdown. He was saying some very vile things about you, Washington State, and I will not repeat them on this podcast. Washington State Cougars. Yeah, you get that forever. That garbage touchdown cost me my parlay. Perfect week. Ugh, I was so mad. I had a parlay, though, and that was the one I didn't get. Um, yeah, but thanks to my bookie uh, for for all of, of that fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that was I, a very good uh, read. How's your microphone? Good. I was going to say. You fixed that. <laughs> my my engineering friend. So pre-show, uh, Ryan had to come over and fix this because one of his hooligans who works for uscfootball.com doesn't know how to operate around equipment. Mm. Uh, so it had come unstrung in many different ways, and it was beyond my ken to figure out how to uh, <laughs> he put, did look at it like put the pieces back together again. Help. <laughs> <laughs> Please, my wets. Uh, That's funny. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Um, you know what was really funny? And I texted you this morning because I was going through the show, set up the notes because I do some prep for the show. Huh. I have to do that. And I looked at the the picks and I was like, oh, I thought I had Stanford plus 17. I'm literally sitting next to RJ Abadia in the press box, like following the USC game going, is your Stanford Cardinal going to do this? I was like literally rooting for Stanford to like score some points. You know what's UCLA. so funny? And I had picked UCLA because I, I, I knew I just picked opposite you. I thought you picked UCLA. So I don't know if this is a Mandela effect thing because I didn't think that. I knew that one. But I thought we had both picked Washington State against Oregon. So I was like, oh, wow, we won. And then I get your like bunch of texts. Then I go back and I'm like to the point where I actually listen to the show again to, to figure <laughs> to out whether sure. I picked it because – I do a weekly picks column for Bro that I picked it the other way. So I don't know what was going on there. But um, yeah, anyway, we'll get into the picks. Yeah, that was uh, we'll get into all the picks and all that kind of stuff. So we had new um, power rankings. There's only four games in the Pac-12 uh, this week. So we'll kind of recap those. Coming up at week nine, David, no more bye weeks. So we got everybody. We've got full slates. We got everybody uh, in action. I don't know. Was there any sort of newsy stuff? I don't think there was anything. Um, oh, we got to do the survival pool. So uh, I am dead. Because, Super dead. Yeah. Who? Who? Oh, uh, Colorado. Yeah. So Colorado. Stanford got back on Colorado, and uh, David had Washington, and we'll talk about that. Uh, barely, you know, uh, the chitty chin chin, or whatever. The that, that was very close. Yes. Um, 
But uh, thank you to Matthew for compiling everything. 40 entered. Only 38 survived. <laughs> you know why? Because they didn't pick. And we got an email from one of them, and they forgot to hit submit. So we could, like, allow them to, like, have that be their submission if you want. But I don't know, it doesn't, it's up to you. doesn't seem fair. Yeah, it probably doesn't. You got to, like, it's just, you got to hit click Everyone's got to do their job. You got to click a button. We all have a job to do. Um, so we start with 355. Uh, the eight winners, 23 picked UCLA, uh, 11 picked Washington, and four took uh, Oregon State. So they all move on. There were no duplicate picks, but there was one, two no picks. One person, and, and Matthew put this out, made the bold pick of gambling on Stanford. Unfortunately, that person was already eliminated in week five for making a dupl duplicate pick. So come on, people, you know the rules. Utah was the only underdog this week, but everyone had already picked Utah, so that didn't come into play. Of the uh, 38 remaining players, 20 have picked neither Stanford or Arizona State, nor Arizona State. So you're running out of time to do uh, that. Um, yeah, and uh, I think that's about it. So there's only three teams left that are still available to be chosen by more than half the field. Two of them are Stanford and Arizona State. So this should get fun. There'll be some... Some weird picks. Uh, only five remaining players have taken Washington State. The rest need to decide whether to pick them. Playing against Arizona State, Stanford, or Cal, or Colorado. And he says, "If side note, the Cougs are not... If the Cougs are not 7-4 and four or better going into the Apple Cup, something is seriously wrong. All right. That's from Matthew. Cool. So thank you for that one. So let's get into our... Um, what we like to call... Pac-12 Roundup. Got sound effects again. Um... You always have sound effects. Well, we we didn't last week. Yeah, um, we did. Do you know what I did find out? Mm. Um, that uh, we could do, like, instead of, like, wirecasting. So Wirecast is the program we use to broadcast this live. We could actually use, like, direct on our phones, go YouTube live on uh, the Podcast of Champions channel, and you could submit, like, um, sharing or whatever, like, have someone else do it. So, like, I think you could, like, go live on your phone or like iPad or something and invite me and we could both be like live. It wouldn't be the kind of production that we have with the pictures and everything. Um, but we would be able to be live. So if we ever have a remote podcast again, we could try that if you want. Okay. Does that seem sure? like something that you'd want to do? This is the kind of logistic information that everyone likes. They want to hear all this shit, man. They want to know how this works. Uh, okay. We got our uh, number... 12 team should we should they be 12 should they be like 15 should they be 20 what do you want we got stanford cardinal you had moved them up but then you moved them back uh no i moved them back after what they did to ucla yeah uh or what was done to them uh they were hosting our number six team ucla bruins <laughs> Yeah, pretty much proving that last week was the uh, fabled dead cat bounce uh, against Colorado. That, yeah. um, Stanford looked like absolute dog shit in this game. And here's the kind of funny thing, and I'm going to probably earn some booze from the positive crowd at Bro. It was closer to being a close game than the final score will indicate. What happened was Stanford kept doing just the most egregiously stupid penalties over and over and over and over and over again. Um, like just like the tight end would be covered up and then he'd run a route and then, you know, but each time, each time there was a critical penalty, 
it wasn't an advantage play for Stanford. It was like two late hits. It was the tight end being slightly covered up by the receiver, but UCLA still covered him poorly and he got a big completion. And then there was illegal blocking downfield because the ball wasn't caught behind the line of scrimmage by a receiver. And instead it was caught like a yard forward. But none of these times was an advantage play for Stanford where the, the penalty itself actually mattered to the outcome of the game, but they just kept doing stupid crap. Um, and so even when they were moving the ball pretty well in the middle stages of this game, they kept shooting themselves in the foot over and over again. And UCLA, meanwhile, played relatively mistake-free. And that was the difference. But this was a 30... I mean, they they, they won by 35, 42 to 7. <laughs> and if you were watching the way the game moved, it kind of was like, huh. You know, because Stanford, they were able to move the ball when they needed to. Um, but it was just penalty after penalty after penalty. They finished with... Um, uh, 10 penalties for 113 yards, and each one of them felt like it erased a very successful play for Stanford. It never felt like it was just, oh, they got a false start, or oh, they got a holding, but the play sucked anyway. It was, oh, yeah, that holding erased like a 15-yard first down um, over and over again. Uh, the big storyline for UCLA was Ethan Garber started over Dante Moore. He did. Um, and I would expect that Ethan Garbers will be the starter going forward. Um, and that's kind of regardless of how he played in this game, as long as it wasn't a disaster and he played fine. Um, but I think the only way he was going to get away from not redshirting this year, because that was the intention after four games is if he got some sort of, Hey, I'm not going to get jerked around here. Right. Um, so I would anticipate Garbers to be the starter going forward again, unless he has a terrible game or gets hurt. Um, and this one was fine. He played He played fine football, um, moved the ball well, made good decisions. Um, and I think most critically, and this was, again, a big factor for UCLA, is when the play was breaking down, when there weren't receivers open downfield, when the offensive line wasn't holding up, he was able to make plays with his legs. And that's not because he's a tremendous athlete. He's just kind of got that older guy savvy yeah uh with how he can you know move around in a pocket so he was able to make some positive plays with his legs um and that was a big factor for ucla's offense um but really what i was struck by is that stanford was like closer to making this at least a respectable game at different points than the final score would indicate at all it's just so many stupid penalties like so many and if you're watching the game it was just like what Every single time they had like a big successful play, it felt like it was erased by a penalty. Yeah. Um, Matthew has a good point. I was going to bring this up, but hey, no stupid crap by UCLA. Um, and he brought, he brought it except for the kicking. And that's what I like. One of my notes from watching this was like UCLA didn't turn the ball over. They weren't committing bad penalties. Um, it was 21 nothing at halftime. They just kind of went out and did their job, right? They weren't. And I'm not saying okay, there's going to be growing pains with like a freshman quarterback, but it just looked like kind of a, war, a more well-oiled machine. Is that fair, David? They just looked like they knew yeah. what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was just that's that's how I described Ethan Garber's performance, and I think that's just probably the best way. Is it was competent? They played competent football, and competent football. It's like um, just like uh, returning the serve of a really, you know, erratic, uh, tennis player, you just got to keep hitting it back and eventually they're going to make a mistake. And that was what the UCLA wasn't, they weren't doing a lot of bells and whistles offensively. Um, weren't mixing things up too drastically defensively. It was just, we're going to play our game and then eventually you're going to, you know, commit a horrible penalty again and, you know, we'll take advantage. And 
you know, two of UCLA's touchdowns were off of short fields because of yeah. Stanford mistakes. Um, you know, and Stanford kept turning it over on downs. They would get like a fourth and two, fourth and three, and they'd be moving the ball okay, but then they never converted on one of those. Um, and so it was just, you know, a lot of taking advantage of uh, Stanford mistakes. They got a punt blocked at one point, um, set UCLA up on, I think, the 28 or 29. So just um, a competent game, which UCLA needed after that Oregon State showing. It was 21 nothing at half, so you're like, okay, they got this, right? It was 29 nothing last week. This should be a problem for Stanford. Uh, they're at a decent – I think their first drive was decent. And they failed the fourth down. I think UCLA drove a little bit, and then Stanford got a fourth down stop. Stanford drives again, another fourth down stop, and then UCLA scores. And after the touchdown, then somehow Stanford, I, I don't know if it was like a kickoff return, they screwed up, but then Stanford's pinned back in their own area. Yeah, they, they took it out of the end zone and they shouldn't have, and they yeah. got down to like the 12. Right. So then you're pit. So just stupid stuff like that, like after the score, you did, you know, you could have got good field position, you did not. It just seemed that then they had a punt blocked. It was like, it was like Stanford was just so bad. Like it was, they were super stupid. And then I've got a stat for you because this is, I think, really telling for what was going on because they were moving the ball okay. You want to know what they were on third and fourth down in this game? What? One of 15. <laughs> That's so bad. That's so bad. Yeah. One of 15. Yeah, one um, of 11 on third down. So that was 0 for 4 on fourth down. Yeah. Just, I mean, it was a disaster for them. Um, and it was, you know, some of it was like UCLA playing a little bit of bend note break uh, in the middle of the field. But I think a lot of it was just execution errors and, again, those penalties. The, uh, yeah, UCLA got in the red zone six times, five touchdowns, pretty good. Didn't turn the ball over. 10 of 17 on third downs for UCLA. Like they just did things right, you know, like in, in there's, there's game manager comments in the, in the chat. Uh, I think that's fair. The defense is playing well under 15 points a season points per game this season. Um, that's the best scoring defense since 1988, David. So I know. Yeah. I think we finally have a, a, a again, a pretty good understanding of UCLA, which is uh, against good or goodish teams. They're going to struggle. Yeah. Against bad teams, they're going to beat that ass. Uh, Stanford's a bad team. Third straight win against Stanford, or at Stanford. Um, so how crazy is that? Remember the, like, the 11-game losing streak or whatever? Yeah. Um, haven't done that since 93. So uh, pretty good, 93 to 97. Um, you know, Good on UCLA. They came out and did the right thing. You, had a, you didn't screw up. Stanford couldn't get anything <laughs> going. I mean, this is... This, it, yeah, the dead cat bounce thing, I think that was perfect analogy last week because it just seemed like that's what it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, Alec uh, Aomaner. Is that how, how are we saying his uh, name? They were going with Aomaner. Aomaner, um, okay. But like just looking at the name, it, it looks like Aomaner, but right. whatever. They're saying Aomaner, I think. Yeah. Okay. Eight receptions, 90 yards. So he did okay, like in his like sort of sophomore game because uh, he had like his freshman game where he broke out in the second half. So he did all right. Um, but, you know, wasn't anything kind of. Crazy. Carson still had three touchdowns. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So good effort overall over there. Okay. Uh, and I got that one right. So, yay. Even though I didn't think so. Um, yeah. I just go opposite Dave on UCLA picks. Yeah. Change that. Change that. There's enough. There, there are enough games left in the season for you to fully catch up just doing that. I love that. Okay. Uh, number 11, we got California Golden Bears. Uh, they had a bye week, mm -hmm. so nothing there. Um, number 10, we have Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> and they were on the road. That, that's tough. Mm -hmm. Taking on our number one team, 
Washington Huskies. <laughs> this game was freaking crazy. I have um, conspiracy theorist and, stuff going all over the place. Earmuffs UCLA fans. Uh, uh, UCLA game was like so boring in the fourth quarter that I more or less watched this one instead. <laughs> um, but uh, okay, so um, ASU had this game. Um, and then they faced a, 100%. they they faced a fourth down. Uh, do, 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 do. It was on the Washington. Let me just get the yardage correctly. It was on the Washington. Wait, yeah, okay, Washington. Um, sorry, uh, Washington twelve, fourth and three. Uh, they were up at that point, um, seven to six. So this was so. Just setting the stage, mm. ASU had dominated this game defensively. Um, this was the worst Washington's offense has looked by far this entire year, probably the entire DeBoer era. Um, Brian Ward, the defensive coordinator for ASU, it, um, you know, like maybe he had uh, Jim Harbaugh's plan for this game because it looked like they knew exactly what Washington was running before they ran it. Like uh, just calling run blitzes at the exact right times every single time. Uh, Michael Penix had nowhere to throw the ball. Uh, a lot of times he threw a couple of picks, fumbled the ball too. Just a lot of cascading errors for Washington, but also they just were not moving the ball consistently at all. Um, so it was a really defensive dominated game. Feeling If you're ASU, you're feeling pretty good at that point about being able to shut down this Washington offense because they'd been doing it consistently all game. Previous drive, you know, uh, Washington, I think, had gotten a field goal. But so setting the stage, ASU puts together a really, really nice drive. Uh, they get from the the 25 all the way down to the 12, but it's fourth and three at the 12. Um, and again, it's a defensive-dominated game. ASU also isn't moving the ball consistently. Right. Now, they go for it. Um, and this is the thing. And I don't want to be results-oriented here because I'm not going to even get into what happened after they went for it. But um, what do you do there? Would you have kicked the field goal? Go up 10 to 6? Uh, the way it was going, the way your defense is playing, if it was 4th and 1, I think I would have gone for it. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm probably more take the points than you in some situations. And it, Given you know, the complexion of this game, I'm taking those points. That and for you to say that is something because you're like, go for it. Yeah. Because I was watching this and they t it was a timeout too, so there was moments to like think about it. And I was sitting there, I'm like, oh man, going up ten to six right now. Because then, even if they do score the touchdown, you're preserving a realistic chance at the win. Yeah. Whereas if you miss it. And they score a touchdown. You don't like. You've got to score a touchdown. Then getting a field goal in this game is going to be a lot easier than getting another touchdown. Now, naturally, what happens instead is that they throw a pick six uh, on fourth and three from the that twelve. That was insane. And that was, I mean, that ended the game. Like there was no way at that point. Um, Trent Borgay, you know, didn't play a good game, but you know, played a tough game. Um, but he wasn't driving them at that point. He looked kind of shook. And then he looked pretty hurt. Um, he got his ankle kind of ticked at one point. I don't know. It was like kind of nicked at one point, and I think that's the injury he'd been dealing with. Yeah. So he didn't have his legs for the last little bit of this game. But um, they just – they were so close to winning this game and so close to knocking off a really good Washington team on the road and shutting down – and it wasn't like they got into a shootout with Washington. They had to shut down the best part of Washington's and they team for this game, and they did it. And then just couldn't quite clinch it at the end. I mean, I, th I still think you're obviously 
since the Fresno State game, ASU was an entirely different team. Like yeah. they've been competitive in every single game since then. And which again, why did you let Bo Baldwin call your plays, Kenny Dillingham? Uh, but at this point, I mean, I think if you're an ASU fan, you've got to be really excited about the future, but also, God, they're so close. Um, and they were so close to getting one of those, like, just linchpin early wins here. And for Washington, I think the narrative is whatever. Like, it was a weird, weird game where you made a ton of mistakes and you still pulled out the win. So take that from it and literally nothing else, um, which is why I wouldn't talk about this from the Washington perspective. I don't think there's anything you take from this. Uh, for Arizona State, though, I think there's a lot of positive and just, gosh, one decision different, and I think they probably win. Yeah, four turnovers for the Huskies here, uh, one for ASU, and it, but it was a costly one, the pick six uh, late in the game. We both took uh, ASU plus 20-some point. Well, what was the spread? It was like 26-and-a-half or something crazy. It was 26-and-a-half, so we both got this one. That was easy. That was an easy one, but a couple picks early. Uh, for Michael Penix um, to do this. I mean, three trips to the red zone for Washington, no touchdowns. This is the uh, first time since 2018 that Washington has won a game in conference without scoring an offensive touchdown. Just think, I mean, no offensive touchdowns. Like, it's pretty crazy. Um, it's the second straight season that ASU lost a game without allowing an offensive touchdown. So how crazy is that? Only 13 carries. Uh, for Washington, it's the fewest by any Husky team on record since 1996. Uh, that's kind of crazy. But I want to talk, David, about, let me pull it up on the screen for you if you're watching on YouTube. If you have like this controversy, like, you know, uh, conspiracy theory kind of thing, Jackson says ASU got hosed on those no, on the no call PI. Uh, USC fans crying about Bears' reckless targeting call, but ASU had it much worse. Yeah, that was terrible. So before that, um, before the fourth down decision, uh, I forget who the receiver was, but gets absolutely mugged. They throw a flag. So this isn't like they didn't throw the flag. The flag was thrown and they show the replay. And if you're watching on the screen, like literally grabbing like the Jersey under his, like under his face, like there's no missing this. And they picked the flag up. Like it was a clear, like, yeah, clear pass interference holding. And they, not only did it wasn't like they didn't call it, which is one thing to call it and pick it up is absolutely insane. And you have to think, is this the Pac-12 saying we need to get Washington into the college football no. playoff? So like, one thing I would say about the crews this year, because they've had a real changing of the guard. Um, there are some really shitty officials now. Like, and it's not so like bad. the fun, like, oh, that's kind of tricky. Uh, Michael Mothershed is calling something I didn't even know was in the rule book. It's just shitty. Like, there's a lot of just, like, pure shitty refereeing going on, and I think that's what it is. I mean, we saw um, – uh, God, I, I can't even remember which games it is, but, like, people literally just staring at two guys uh, making full contact before the ball was there and no call being made. Yes. Um, multiple times this weekend, and I I don't – I'm not a big conspiracy guy. I, I, it's just bad. I mean, it's just incompetent refereeing. And this game – so – there was ASU, ASU at the end got completely jobbed, but like this game was full of just dog shit refereeing, and it was such a close competitive game that those things you can point at any one of them and say that was really significant, and you're not wrong. Um, but it's just you hate to see a game that, that that's that competitive, that's that close to being a big upset or a you know big sign of resilience for Washington State or for Washington, whatever you want to call it. Um, 
be impacted by just bad refereeing. And it was. Um, and that was bad. There was an earlier PI that should have been called on ASU that wasn't called. Um, it was just too much of that in a game that was otherwise like really, really interesting despite being low scoring. Um, and it just, it again, it just sucks. Um, and refereeing at the college level, I mean, I think a lot of people are in for a rude awakening when it's Big Ten officials doing the same crap next year, but, um, or Big 12. Uh, but it's just it's just a shame when it gets really really impacted by uh, what is baseline incompetence. Um, Jared and I think you commented in there said fourth down model had a very strong go for it plus six point three percent. Does that take into consideration that the it doesn't take flow into the, flow of the game into that's account. what I'm it's all underlying um, underlying like behaviors on fourth down. It's all underlying like what. You know what does an offense typically get on on a particular play, um, and then the win, you know, expected points added, uh, win model projections. Um, I think for that game, I, I I think given the complexion of the game, again, it would have been defensible because they clearly had a very good defensive game plan in there for Washington, um, and I was reasonably confident in them keeping them out of the end zone for the rest of the game. So getting three more points at that point, you know. I think that could have been significant, but he's right. The math, the math would have indicated go. Um, but uh, yeah, and then uh, Matthew also says the spots are so bad. The announcers are yelling yeah. about it. <laughs> uh, this was crazy all weekend, and every single game I watched, it felt like it felt like the officials were watching something very different from what I was watching at home. It felt like every ball carrier, no matter what team they were on, was getting at least a yard and maybe two yards short. Of yeah. where they ended up, like a receiver would be falling forward, and and it was never, I didn't see it ever where it was impacting first down versus not first down, but yeah. it was impacting whether it was fourth and one or fourth and two or three. Um, Stanford got stuck with that a couple of times too, where I felt like, you know, they should have like fourth and half a yard, not fourth and two here, um, and it just seemed like that was happening consistently throughout the weekend. No, that's true. Shotgun tweeted out, and I forget which game. I mean, it was the USC game or whatever. It was literally the referee just kind of standing on like the yeah. He never moved line of scrimmage. <laughs> he didn't move. Like the play happens to his left, and it looks like he's gonna make. He's like now nah, he just walks ahead and it just marks it. It, it was the weirdest thing. It's like the play was clearly marked. I mean, ended yeah. like a yard and a half that way. It was like laziness. It wasn't like it's, it's just you know, very bad officiating going on. And uh, we got one um, from Colt. Or were those two worse than the Big Ten calling back the Iowa punt return? So I'm I'm more uh, – so eye in the sky, he's doing a bunch of signaling with his arms. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Um, the, the field level view actually looked less like a fair catch, so I don't really understand what the refs were doing. But when I was watching all the, like, TV angles, I'm like, I don't know. That's borderline to me. Like, that's borderline signaling a fair catch. Um uh, but on the field, I don't really understand it because it doesn't look like that from the field angle. Like it looks like he's trying to run down the punt and he's signaling where it's going to hit to yeah. set up blocking. Um, now, should you be waving your arm while you're running when you're trying to do this? Probably not. That yeah, was probably you don't a give mistake. Him an excuse. Yeah, you don't want to give him an excuse to do but it. They, there was. I like. I like this though. There was a pool reporter and they talked to the referee and there was an explanation and it made sense. Apparently, his arm like. He was pointing with his right, I think, and his left arm, which he said well, he's, he was doing this, like he was he was waving with that arm. It's but just apparently, it, it got above his shoulder like twice, like barely. Yeah. But it did, so but, like if it gets above your shoulder, then it's like that's. But why are you waving your arm when you're running? Right. He was pointing for like his blockers and stuff, 
And this is one of those things that's just like if you're if Iowa wins another game just by someone doing something dumb on special teams or defense, like I, you just can't keep winning games like that. So I think there's less sympathy. Like ASU was like gonna they had a great effort all game. Like Iowa wasn't trying to score, and you're like relying on a punt return for a touchdown. Like I, I have less sympathy for that one. I have no sympathy for Iowa. Yeah, I, but I watch it. Nepotism. I, I like watching. I know, but I I love watching to see like how many points they need to get. I don't love watching it. I love uh, oh, reading bad. about it afterwards. Yeah, it's 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 bad football. It's so bad, but it's yeah. like so fun to watch. It's like someone made this decision to like be this bad on like literally wanted to be this bad on defense, which yeah, it's hard to understand. Okay, uh, our number nine team, Colorado Buffalo. Coach Prime was coaching them up to not give up 29 point halftime deficits. Yeah, they had a bye week. So, uh, and now my least favorite team on the history of the world, Washington State Cougars. You know, who showed no life at home against Arizona the week before. And then all of a sudden decide to, like, hey, we should probably play football when we go on the road to take on the juggernaut, Oregon Ducks. <laughs> Cost me my parlay. Ryan was saying the most vile things <laughs> after this game about your lovely Washington State Cougars. He was he was Pat McAfee incarnate. So bad. Uh, um, okay, so my big take from the early part of this game was that Washington State, for the first time in weeks, looked like it had signs of life. Um, this was Cam Ward um, looking much better, much more comfortable in the first half, especially. Um, I would say late, he started to look a little bit more like Cam Ward from last year again. Um, but in the first chunk of this game, looking really competent, um, and, uh, playing some pretty good football. Um, I think having Lincoln Victor back, um, fully, fully, uh, this week, I think really helped. Yeah. 16 catches is pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For 161 yards. Jesus. Um, uh, and then Oregon, like, uh, you know, moved the ball. Okay. It was, I think they kind of the same way as Washington had a little bit of a letdown. Um, it's hard to sustain that kind of huge emotional high week to week. Um, but they kind of methodically built their score, kind of methodically built this game up. Um, and, you know, I thought Bo Nix played pretty well. Bucky Irving had like, you know, three really big plays and otherwise just just okay. Uh, but three really, really big plays. Um, and then I, I, I think the main thing that Ryan wants to talk about, though, is uh, Washington State going from uh, down 22 late to finally scoring a touchdown in absolute junk time uh, to close out the game and make it 38-24 instead of 38-16. Not, not happy about that. Well, and the thing is, Washington State, like, they stopped trying before that. Like, the, so they turned it over on downs on the previous drive. They got the ball with 8.53 to go down by 22. Yeah. They were trying now, that down. That, no, they were trying. not because they were running so fucking slow. They were not actually trying. They were, they were trying to put some lipstick on the pig, but they were not trying to win this game. And the thing is, We've watched enough football over the years to know that it is possible to win a game down 22 with a little under nine minutes to go. Lots of teams have done it. Sure. It's not impossible. It's only impossible if you spend five minutes and 13 seconds just to get to the Oregon eight and then you turn it over on downs. Yeah. Like that should have been over at that point. It should have been over. Ryan thought it was over. Yeah. But then Oregon, uh, and you're not giving Oregon enough blame here. Because, oh, they're getting blamed. Because Oregon didn't do anything with the ball when they got it back. 
And then they're thinking, oh, they punted away to a team that already quit. No siree, Bob. Washington State drives it down in a little under a minute, scores that touchdown, and puts you away. They were well, you too. You picked only in this. Didn't put me away in the other one. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was like that final drive. It was just like guys wide open, huge chunk plays. You're like, are you kidding me? Like this has got to be uh, insanity. Like, but Oregon wasn't looking very good early. There was kind of a hangover effect, right? Yeah, Washington State. So. Washington State came out and they had a pulse, uh, and you're just like, uh oh, this is going to be a problem. And then it kind of like. Things kind of got to more normal. Um, but that meaningless TV, TD pass with under a minute remaining, that was bad. Um, yeah, Bucky Irvin, what was what was up with him? There was just a lot of big plays, but um, not so good in between. Yeah. Uh, this was, I don't know. I guess, I, I guess you give Oregon a pass because it was like kind of like the hangover game from the Washington game, but. I thought you'd want to come out with a little bit more fire than what they did. It was pretty slow at the beginning. Um, but uh, the Ducks, you know, they were they were pretty efficient on offense. Like, they think they got things going, like 5 of 10 on uh, third down conversions. You know, Washington State was only 4 of 14. Uh, they only got two touchdowns, five trips into the, the red zone. I don't know. This is This was a weird one for me. I just, it looked like, the way at the end of the game looked like we thought it would look like, and then it kind of switched with that late sort of touchdown there. I don't know if people care about the spread, but I don't know. I, I just was not impressed with what Oregon did. I mean, either Oregon or Washington, but I think we can give them both a pass just because they had such a juggernaut game last week. Yeah. I just, well, the weird thing was me was like Washington State was dead, like dead at home against Arizona. Like you go out on the road and it, it was bad. Okay, okay, that's one thing. Like UCLA broke them it seemed like yeah and then arizona i don't know what the hell they did to them and then somehow you get it back going into yeah. eugene like i i don't think they really got it back i think it was a lot of hangover effect and i think um just the complexion of oregon's defense they weren't doing the exact same stuff that arizona and ucla did maybe because they just want to work on their own things um but uh and i think uh, to an extent, Washington State called a slightly more aggressive offensive game. Yeah. I think they were shell-shocked with how bad Cam Ward was against UCLA in Arizona. And then I think in this game, they they were like, look, we, we're going to have to throw it downfield, so we just got to do it a little bit more. Um, so that helped them, too. It's funny. the first So the first four games for Washington State, um, they were averaging 47 points a game almost. The last three, uh, under 16. Um, so it's pretty crazy. This was a better game. The Oregon game was better than UCLA or the Arizona game, uh, which was kind of uh, kind of baffling. And they were, you know, super high percentage of third down conversions, sixty one and a half percent, down to twenty six percent now. So it's just it's been a big drop off. But if you're a Washington State fan, um, you know maybe Victor coming back helps. But they looked better. Like they looked, I think they looked a little better. I'm still concerned that this is a team that looked really good at the beginning and not quite as good. I'm just kind of pissed that they looked better than just garbage like they looked like the two weeks prior. Yeah. All right, uh, so is that our last game to recap this week? Oh, we got the, that's the last one, I think. All right, well, thanks for the show. Uh, hold on. So before – wait, let's see. We have uh, – that was number – that was number eight, right? Okay, we have an email from Nick. Now, would you like me to read that first? I'll read that. Do you want to read it? Okay, go ahead. 
Please read before Dave recaps SC versus Utah. Uh, note, I wrote this on Saturday night and, now sober, feel like it's fine to send. It's 10, 11 p.m. I'm home from the Coliseum, and I'm so sad. We biffed it again. Hopes for the season effectively vanished. The greatest player I've seen with my own eyes, capable of physical feats I hadn't thought possible, forgot how to hold a football. Yeah, we kind of suck a bit and are badly coached on defense. And yeah, weirdly, a little bit of offense now, too. Anyway, not going to change until next year. Let's see if we if uh, if we have Lincoln six if Lincoln sticks around, and if we have a new DC next season. And in the meantime, here's to getting to nine, eight wins and a fun bowl game. Dave, I love you. I'm an SC grad and dedicated Trojan, but I'm a filthy commie like you, and you are one of the most engaging voices in college football. No joke. So please, just go easy on us. Do one of your phoned-in recaps where you make Ryan do all the talking because you're emailing Tracy about some bro bollocks. Sporting love is simultaneously the dumbest thing in the world and also the most sincere. I watch my stupid Trojans shout, uh, shoot themselves in the dick repeatedly, and yet I can't help but love them and want to give them a hug. I'm not sure I have the emotional capacity to hear you do an extended, quote, is Hilton better than Riley bit for eight minutes. Ryan, love you too. Go on as long as you want. You'd be good at telling people their pets are dying. Factual, compassionate, well enunciated. Cheers, lads. Nick. Thanks, Nick. That was a pretty fun. <laughs> I, I was reading through. But we'll do it. We got uh, number seven team. USC Trojan. And they were hosting the number four team. Utah Utes. Right. Um, so uh, this was so this was so this was um, look, I, I am going to feel for USC fan out there because when hope dies, which I'm very familiar with as a <laughs> UCLA fan, uh, it is a it is an egregious experience. And the nature in which hope died in this game is particularly awful. Because you were allowed to grieve for a long time when it was 28-14 and Utah felt like it was completely in control of this game, yeah. utterly and completely. And then hope crept back in, right? Because you had that pick six from Bryson Barnes. Was it a pick six? Pick six, yeah. Pick six from Bryson Barnes. Um, pick farmer. And then, uh, then USC drives down the field, scores, and they go ahead 32-31. Um, but... Then uh, Utah gets the ball back. Bryson Barnes drives down the field, and then you feel like you've got you've got him maybe stopped just outside of field goal range, and he runs for I think it was twenty six yards on a scramble, setting up a chip shot field goal for a Utah kicker, which is pretty much the most guaranteed thing in football. Right. Um, that is the yin and yang of like actually having your still beating heart ripped out. Because no matter what happened at Notre Dame, if USC had won out from that point, uh, they would be a playoff team. No yeah. matter what happened at Notre Dame. Uh, but this is the nail. This is the thing that actually ends that dream. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll make the like kind of axiomatic and somewhat circular point that um, if your dream could be ended eight games into the season, then it was not a realistic dream to begin with, uh, which everyone can probably acknowledge is true. Um, but the nature of this one, I think, was uh, particularly awful for uh, USC fans. Um, but very funny for me. So I do want to make sure <laughs> that point gets uh, added here. Um, this is the first safety, I think, that Alex Grinch has ever made look good. Uh, it just so happens that he plays running back for the other team, uh, Sione Vaki. Yes. Um, who, okay, so let me get his total stats here. Uh, 14 touches he ha yeah. for... 
237 yards. Does that sound right? Or 227 yards. It was 227. 227, yeah. Yeah, 227 yards and uh, two touchdowns. Two touchdowns. Um, he was – so uh, for Utah, uh, this is somebody who watched a lot of Miles Jack in college, and I didn't buy the uh, Jalen Glover-Maurice Jones-Drew comparisons. But Sione Vaki has got a little Miles Jack in him because his change of direction on that one touchdown late in the game where he he was turning right, and then he's like, oh, no, 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 I'm going to go back over here, and he beat all of the defenders back the other way. Um, that's the kind of stuff that like I, I last remember seeing from Miles Jack, and they even kind of run the same way where they both look like they're running. He's faster with, than Miles Jack, I think. Maybe, but they both run like they've got a load in their pants. Like they're they're both running with like yeah, he doesn't look like he's no, they're like heels back. are on the ground when they're running. It's so <laughs> weird watching defensive players play offense. Um, but uh, he's exceptional, an exceptional player. Um, at on the offensive side, and it's not like oh they're not scouting for him. It's just he's got that that kind of juice to run through contact and then also just make big plays. Bryson Barnes played a great game, obviously, um, and Jaquindon Jackson was was totally fine as their main uh, running back. And then for USC, I mean, the thing was, again, and it's a thing we keep coming back to with them, why aren't you running the ball more? Like, why? And, and this is maybe the, I guess, the through line with every kind of offensive critique that they've had in the last two years. Uh, it's, and, you know, it's, it's hard to critique it over much because you've got one of the best quarterbacks in college football and Caleb Williams, the best quarterback in college football, maybe. Um, but their running game has been exceptional on a per play basis this year. Marshawn Lloyd, Marshawn Lloyd had seven carries in this game and it felt like every time he touched the ball, Utah was having a tough time bringing him down and he only touched it seven times. It's just, I, I really don't understand the offensive decision making yeah. and they were they were held down for most of this game and I guess maybe if you're being generous you would say the game plan coming in was probably not to run the ball too much cuz Utah's run defense is pretty good but then the complexion of the game again adjust to the complexion of the game and the complexion of the game would have dictated oh we're getting we're getting big yards with Marshawn Lloyd let's keep this going um and he can run past their safeties like he's got that oh, yeah, ability he, yeah um so I, if I was a USC fan, I'd be disappointed in that. Um, just, the, again, the lack of running the ball. But I, this one, I, I, I've hammered the point enough, but this one comes down to defense. It comes down to Alex Grinch. And you gave up 34 points to an offense led by a pig farmer <laughs> down down every single tight end with a pulse. Um, the thing was, for me, watching this one was, um, okay, you gave up a bunch of yards in the run game. Fine. You know, Utah's got a pretty good run game. That makes sense. But the fact that Bryson Barnes was able to find receiver after receiver downfield against this defense with his arm talent and with the lack of options at tight end that they have, I mean, that's that's a fireable offense. You're, you're an advanced depth guy. Like, what's a good average yard per completion for a quarterback? <laughs> per completion or per attempt? Per completion. Um. Good is over ten for sure. Okay, um, but probably in the like twelve or thirteen range. So Caleb Williams was ten point seven. Like that's pretty good, right? Yeah. Bryson Barnes sixteen point eight <laughs> average yard. <laughs> like that's insane. Like this was a one dimensional offense mm -hmm. that we went over, scored seven points against UCLA offensively, seven points against Oregon State, and Bryson Barnes looked very competent. You know, he did have the pick six, 
But uh, he was good. And this, this, so this passing offense, just so everyone knows what I'm talking about with Utah, the, the passing offense, I don't know what it was coming into the game, but it is still 87th in success rate nationally. Yeah. Um, it's not a good passing attack to give up. I mean, this is a team that hadn't scored. So they'd scored 34 against Cal. Uh, before that, they hadn't scored over 31, and that was against Weber State. Yeah. Um, it's It's... It's shocking how bad USC's defense is at stopping even a pretty mediocre offense. Yeah, so this is like 482 yards. That's the most Utah's gained all season. Yeah, I know total yards doesn't mean that much, but you're let for USC. You're letting these high water marks come in. Uh, Vake was amazing. Uh, uh, Austin says, "Would you rather have him or Travis Hunter as your two-way player?" What do you think? Boy, um, I'm probably taking Hunter still, but like, yeah, probably taking Hunter. I mean, Hunter's and Vaki's been amazing. Vaki's been great. I think Hunter plays a little bit more premium position at um, cornerback, yeah. and I'd need to see more of Vaki, but he stands out, dude. Um, and I think he's got a role on offense for however long the rest of his career is. I don't even know what year he is, um, but he's he's what he's he doing on a mission and he's you know he's like an older dude but yeah but what he's doing offensively i mean he's got a burst he's got physicality he's got toughness running um there's there's a ton to like there he's third on the team in rushing he's like second tackles third in rushing so yeah. his uh his six nine catches i'm sorry uh five catches for 149 yards it was the most by an fbs defensive player this year his mo most receiving yards by a Ute, not just receiving yards by a defensive player, because they do a lot of those. Like, that's the most rushing yards by a defensive player, like whatever. This is the most receiving yards by a Utah player this year, and the most by a receiving re receiving yards by a Utah player since Dalton Kincaid had 234 against USC last year well, in Salt Lake City. You know what it feels like. It's th There are two analogies for what it is, and it, Travis Hunter isn't it. It's um, because... Like how it came about, how sudden and surprising it was. It's Miles Jack on offense for UCLA in 2013, and it's Khalil Tate. Oh, like yeah. what Khalil Tate for that did that for that six game stretch when he came in uh, suddenly as the starter, and he's like out there rushing for 200 yards a game from the quarterback position. That's what this feels like. Uh, yeah. Just kind of sudden, out of nowhere, and wow, because he did 158 rushing yards in the game against. Cal, I think it was, and then he did 150 receiving yards in this game. And it was, yeah, a lot of short dump-offs and stuff, but um, what he's doing in the open field is is it's nuts. And you got to give credit to the Utah coaching staff, Kyle Whittingham. I mean, you get him lined up against a defensive end, essentially, and he's a safety running against a defensive end. That's not going to go well. You probably do that in practice all the time. Wheel routes going for a huge yardage. I mean, there was... Yeah. Utah had chunk plays, big explosive plays, more explosive plays than USC. That's not been Utah's MO on offense. And that's where you got to give credit to Utah for sure. But you, if you're USC, you have way too many talented players to allow. You can't have Utah have their best offensive game of the season against you. Looking at some of the teams that they played, they had their best offensive game of the season against you. You can't allow something like that to happen. And like you mentioned, um, you know, Marshawn Lloyd, seven carries, 86 yards and a touchdown. Uh, you know, 12.3 yards per carry. They ran 10 plays for 100 yards, 10 rushes for 100 yards in the first quarter and pretty much got away from it uh, after that. So just some really baffling stuff. I come back to what you were saying that Lincoln Riley was acting like an embattled coach yeah. um, when they were undefeated. 
And for the second week in a row, we weren't having any extra players were brought out for after the game. Something weird is definitely going on. We're going to practice tomorrow. But I, I mean, I've covered this team since like 2000. My buddy that was the SID there before I got there in the 90s, we talked. He's never, never remembered a time when no players were available after a game. That's USC always has guys available. And for that not to be the case, there's something really weird going on here. And yeah. I mean, I'll, so I think um, it's incredibly soft from Lincoln Riley. I'm not going to critique the players for it. That's incredibly soft from Lincoln Riley. And the thing is, like, a team can adopt the culture of the head coach, can adopt the the mindset of the head coach, and he's been really soft all year. Um, and wh- however you thought he handled the like Luca incident, yeah, um, it was soft. It was soft. Yeah. Like it's just whatever. I mean, it, who gives a shit at a certain level? Um, and it's been a lot of like commenting about the media to the media in post game scrums, and these are the sorts of things you see from a coach in his fifth year of an unsuccessful run. Not the second year when he was at that time seventeen and three or sixteen and three or whatever it was. So all this stuff, like it's just, it doesn't feel right. Which is why it's kind of like, and this isn't me being like a troll or a hater. It's it doesn't look right. Like it doesn't. It, it doesn't. No, it you doesn't, said that before, and that was that was right. Like yeah. we we've seen embattled coaches, and they're like shutting down things, or like you're worried about all this stuff that's like. Well, and I wonder, and why to, are you worried about that? To and not be, your team. To be fair to Lincoln Riley and and coaches in the modern era, they've got a different challenge than coaches even five years ago had. Uh, NIL, the empowerment of players, and all that kind of stuff. I can imagine there being more and weirder locker room issues for a coach to deal with than there used to be. And I can see for certain coaches and Lincoln Riley for all of his like being forty and you know a relatively young guy, he's got like some old school like sort of I think approaches and mindsets with how a team conducts itself and stuff. So I could see him being a little cheesed off by some of the aspects of coaching right now. Um, That's why he's talking about retirement as a 40 year old uh, psycho. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, it just strikes me as um, they've got some, they've got some culture and locker room stuff to figure out uh, because it doesn't look like uh mindsets are correct and he talked about this post game too where it's like you know did it get to them a little bit all the like talk about a national title and all that kind of stuff and he'd put them on put that on them too like preseason he was yeah he's talking about that so i just think there was some mixed up stuff going on there um and they've got a really tough road i mean it's a really really tough end of schedule get right against cal maybe but Oregon, Washington, UCLA to close the season is not going to be pretty. It's not going to be fun. And, you know, I think the the hope at this point is to finish, what, nine and three? That's yeah, probably the hope. I, I would think so. Like, yeah. The good thing is that you do have an opportunity. Um, Utah's schedule is really tough, too, but you're sitting at six and one. You're feeling pretty good. For USC, like, you know, if say, say the USC was there, and we've seen this like with the Clay Helton teams or comparisons. And if you got like three cakewalk games or four cakewalk games to end, you're like, oh, we ended on a high note. Like, no, you didn't. You just played crappy teams. They played the crappy teams early. So you're going to end on, if you play crappy against the good teams, you're going to lose those games and you'll end on a low note. So I think it's sort of, there. you can't mask it. Like, they're going to, if you don't get this right, then you're going to start, you're going to lose more games and you've already lost two in a row. So. So DB said something, don't care if the players don't talk after the game. And I'm not saying you're saying this, DB, but I see a lot of people who are like generally anti-media in like a lot of respects say this sort of stuff. Like, I don't care. I want them to play better. And it's like, 
Yeah, sure. Um, but what does it indicate? What does it indicate about your team um, that they won't make players available in a – again, this is standard across the board. Programs do this after losses. Yeah. They, they, they make players available. And maybe it's one or two players after a bad loss. But usually it's team leaders. You know, one or two guys will step up and be like, look, we got to play better. And they've done this a few times this year. I mean, uh, Bryson Shaw, after that one game where they won, was still like, oh, God, you know, stop criticizing Alex Grinch because um, he has, you know, um, some sort of complex. Um, but this uh, this um, not allowing players to speak after the game, it's just an indication for me of softness. Like, and that's the not a... That's not something you want. And then other people made the point. I think this is fair enough and valid. These guys are going to have to do it at the professional level. Oh, like yeah. Caleb Williams is going to have to talk after a lot of losses next year because he's going to be on a shitty team. He's no, going to be yeah. starting for a really bad team. He's going to have to talk after they go, you know, whatever. What do you? What can you go in the NFL now? Four and 14? How many games do they play? 17. 17 yeah, you can, yeah like. you can go four and 13. Uh, he's going to have to talk after a lot of those. So get him used to it. Get him used to talking after losses because he hasn't had to do that a whole lot at USC. And hopefully he won't have to do that a whole lot for the rest of the season. And, you know, to be fair, like this is a professional town um, and UCLA same way. Like you have to make players available just for, uh, you know, competitive purposes. Otherwise, you're, the, the local news outlets are not going to be talking about your team because there's a million other things. The Lakers start, you know, play tomorrow like a, uh, there's just a lot going on uh, in sports, and you have to do it. And I'll give USC credit. They've been really good at it. And we, you hear from NFL scouts, they're like, hey, the USC players have a lot of savvy when it comes to media just because they do a lot. We They were more available after games and practices than most. Um, and we still could talk to players after practice and stuff, but it, it is a little bit more limited. No, Tim Teslone did a great job. Yeah. Um, and that was a big part of it. Um, and I would say uh, – just, I mean, it's there's just a lot of reasons to want uh, guys to be available after games, um, and uh, you know, I would I would have thought Lincoln Riley learned the lesson from the uh, again the Luca incident, where however strong or weak you think the local media is in the current iteration of like how newspapers are dying and everything, it's not good publicity to make your like media policies, a story. It's just never no, going no, to be good. No. Do the minimum, do the minimum, have Caleb Williams available and have whoever your main defensive player is that is good at talking to the media after a loss. And that's it. Um, but do that. You have to do that. Um, and to not do that is just an indication of softness to me. Uh, Brett says, uh, what were your thoughts on the subs for the defense causing delay of games and throwing off USC's rhythm? I thought this was really brilliant by Utah. They would have like their biggest, slowest defensive lineman come off of the game. And I thought for USC, if you're like, okay, Utah's doing that, don't sub. Like you're basically. No, they kept. Th th this is the kind of gamesmanship that is standard in a game. And I think it's another indication that like were their heads not in the game or something because that was happening constantly. Yeah. How do you not adjust and try to catch them in a bad switch at some point? Like fake like you're subbing, but don't actually sub. Like run one of your run your tight end out to the sideline on a slow jog yes. and see if they start subbing. And if they do, then catch them on a snap. Like, there's so many different ways to deal with that gamesmanship. Okay, we're going to run with our same personnel group this entire, you know, set of downs. And they just never did. And yeah. it's just, that's just, your head's not in the game. You're, you know, thinking about other things or whatever. But 
of course Utah's going to do that. Lots of teams do that. It's not like it's a Utah unique thing when you are subbing they're going to try to slow the game down as much as possible. Now, there was that one ridiculous one that led to the delay of game, and that one, I don't know, because USC had finished subbing by, I think, the 22nd mark on the play clock. Yeah, you should be able to... You shouldn't be able to then eat up the next 17 seconds getting <laughs> your uh, guys in, but 15 seconds, and the thing is, USC does a lot of checks at the line of scrimmage. They take if, too if long, If you yeah. don't allow yourself you know, eight or nine seconds, then you're doing your offense wrong, and if you don't want to do that, then run tempo. Yeah, I thought that, and there was one opportunity to snap it when a defensive player was running off the field. You could have got a. Yeah, they were. There wasn't like an awareness of what's happening. Someone's doing something to us. Be aware and now counter that. And they just weren't. That's the thing is Utah takes advantage of what offenses are like. Utah ekes out every single weird advantage it can to the point where Kyle Whittingham has, in his old age, become an analytics guy. Like they're doing fourth down correctly, they're doing a lot of different things correctly that they didn't used to do. Um, they're they're a very very smart coaching staff, despite uh, Kyle Whittingham being a beautiful dumb genius at clock <laughs> management at the end of games. Um, but they're a very smart coaching staff that's going to work out. How do we get an advantage? How do we eke out an advantage from Morgan Scally waiting until the offense has set up before he even signals in the defense? Um, they do a lot of stuff that's just we're trying to get the like two percent advantage we can get here. So you got to match that when you're playing them. Yeah. Um, the uh, real quick, the uh, for USC, a couple decisions I want to get your thoughts on. One, um, I think they were so after the pick six, going for uh, two. What was the score at that time? That was. Let me pull it up. Yeah, that's right. So it seemed like you're chasing points a little bit too um, early. That was going to be so. all right. So the pick six was. Uh, with 13.28 to go in the fourth. Um, and they were down then 28.23, and they uh, then elected to go for two. Um, I don't know what the calculator says. I generally don't hate going for it. Okay. Um, let's see. When to go for two. If you're down by five, uh, almost, yeah, yeah, you, you 100%. Go for two. They say go for two. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's absolutely. Um, so I, I think that one was right. And then he did it again later. Well, you have right? to do it again later because now. Yeah. So yeah. the margin after a TD was one. Right. So, so yeah, they two. absolutely go for two there too. Yeah. I did with like almost 14 minutes left in the game. I'm not sure. Like, no, it's still, it's still go. Um, it's just, you know, uh, it's again, you get into complexion of the game and then you get into results. Like when it doesn't work, it's like, ah, idiot. But I think minus five after the touchdown, that's a go at almost any point in the game. People get into like, oh, it's too late. There are too many possessions and all that kind of stuff. But you got a really good offense, and uh, most of the time you're going to get it too. Like, that's the thing with USC's offense. It's the number one offense in the country. If we're talking about Cal, maybe it's a slightly different thing. But if your offense is really good, you should be able to get the two most of the time. Yeah. Like, you should be able to get it 70% of the time. And if that's the case, you should almost always go for two. Um, it's again, it's, it's all about expected points. It's all about, well, what do I get from this versus the other? And an extra point is not guaranteed. It's like, you know, on an average extra point, you get like 0.98 points on an average two point go. Even if it was 50, 50, you're getting a point. And I don't think it's 50, 50 for USC. I think it's more like 70, 30, right? Yeah. Then if that's the case and you want to go, for yeah. Two. So late in the game, it, the calculation changes, but that's only if going for two and missing is really going to going to drastically negate your win odds. But in those situations, it's improving them. 
You know, if you go down three instead of four, that's a much better position. That point relative to the other matters a lot. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of reasons for going for it, and it's just uh, it's just uh, people who are results oriented and or um, bad at looking at charts. Uh, with sorry, West Texas Mike. Under two minutes left. Minute fifty two left. Uh, USC gets a huge punt return. Um, from Zechariah Branch, goes out the 11 or whatever, and then Caleb Williams does a QB draw, runs it in. We, to me, this is like, should you, should you not score? Should you take? Should a he knee? have taken a knee at the one? So for me, this is like, if you're up by a point and you could score to go up eight, but then they could still tie you. That's like a luxury score to me. So you could take a knee, and then if you don't get in, you're still winning. This is this is a necessity score. You need these points to take the lead. So I think if you get a chance to take to score, you score. Yeah, no way I'm letting Utah uh get set up for a goal line okay. stop. That's okay. No freaking way. Yes. Uh no, you score those points and yeah, is it too quick? Sure. Uh but you score those points. No yeah, question about I it. I agree with that too. Um and uh yeah, I mean look, the thing is like Utah driving for a field goal at the very end. I mean, we all thought it was inevitable, but I mean, Bryson Barnes doesn't scramble for like a million yards on a whatever it was, second and fifteen. It's a whole different story. Yeah, and then Bear Alexander had a roughing the passer. He had a couple of bone dumb plays in this game, but he's he's probably their best defensive player as far as like disruption goes. Okay. Uh, Oh, then we also had. um, Let's see. So that was six. We talked about seven. Um, Number five, Arizona Wildcats. Uh, they were on a break. Number three, Oregon State Beavers. Also on a break, they were on a bye. So that's it for that. We should take a quick break. Yep. Do we? Do you have much time? How much time? We've got like 14 minutes. Okay. Take a break. We'll be back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we're back here on the podcast of champions. I didn't realize how much time had gone by. Uh, we do have a couple of voicemails. I know we get to play Thursday one, so let me play you one right here. Uh, here we go. Hey, what's crack-a-lacking, Bob Cornelius? Alan in St. Louis here. Uh, so I just finished my uh, weekly waterboarding session, uh, courtesy of the USC football program, and I have a little odds-making challenge to throw at you guys. So um, as we all know, the Trojans – Butterton 
11 and 3 finish last season. And as for this year, not even Brian Cushing's medicine cabinet could save us from this impending super fun site. Meanwhile, though, down south, our old prodigal prince, Lane Kiffin, finished the 2022 season going 8 and 5. And the Fighting Sun Visors are quietly 6 and 1. And the only ranked team left on their schedule is the number one Georgia Bulldogs. So here's my question. In your opinion, what are the chances that Lane Kiffin and Jackson Dart have the same amount or more wins over the 2022 and 23 seasons as Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams during that same time frame? Uh, thanks, as always, for taking my call. If you're listening to my disembodied voice on YouTube right now, don't forget to smash that like button or whatever the kids say these days. Um, these guys really need all the encouragement they can get. All right. We do. Here. All right. So great question. Um, I would say it's unlikely that Ole Miss is going to finish with more. He said they were eight and five last year. Yeah. So I would say it's unlikely because they would have to go. I think the most realistic scenario. So for Ole Miss, beat everybody they, but Georgia. Yeah, they have they have uh, five more games. They'd have to go four and one with a loss to Georgia, and that includes Texas A and M at home. Texas A and M is still very tough despite being four and three. Yeah. And Mississippi State on the road, uh, which is decent. But I think uh, four and one is very possible for hey, them. What's crackalack? Sorry, Bob Cornelius. Jeez Louise. Four and one is very possible for them, but that would leave them with eighteen wins. So that's basically saying USC can win only one more game uh, to tie, because yeah. right now Lincoln Rally is seventeen and five, which incidentally is the same record Clay Helton had True. through twenty-two games as the full-time head coach for USC. He did. Just yeah. a funny little note. Yeah. Um, but he would have to just win one more game, which would probably be this weekend against Cal, and then lose all three of the remaining harder games. And I just don't see that. I mean, I think I, I would still lean on eight and four being the most likely result for Lincoln Riley, and that would be 19 wins. Yeah, I think that's true. Okay, we got one more voicemail. This is a little long. Should we play? We don't. What the hell? Why not? Okay. Hey, Brian and Steve, a drunken treasure here. Look, <laughs> I just spent my Saturday night with Tom. Mainly for Dave, because he's a real fan. Brian, look, we get it. You're not a fan. You started uscfootball.com. Not because you're a fan, but because you're the Walter Cronkite of USC football fan check. But Dave, you're a fan and you get it. My question is, why do we do this to our fans? Why do we purposely make ourselves miserable? You know, I don't have to be drinking myself to sleep on a Saturday night. I could have been working on my car all day, looking at girls on the internet. One of my buddies has been like, hey, did you see that SC score? And I've been like, SC, who's that? Hand me that monkey wrench. You gotta work on this transmission, bro. But no, I had to spend my whole day at the Coliseum. All so that I could watch a pig farmer run for 26 yards to clinch a heartbreaking loss for my favorite team. It doesn't make any sense, you know? I mean, even the moments of glory, they're so fleeting, you know. I was the Rose Bowl in 03 when we beat Michigan. But yay, we're national champs, right? AP's going to vote us number one, yay. 04, we beat Oklahoma, that was awesome. But I don't think about those things. I think about losing to Texas in 05. I think about some future forklift operator tipping a 
booty pass to himself. He was showing 06. I think about Rita Pritchard in 07. Jacques Rogers in 08. Yeah, Sarge and Clay. Now we've got some awesome coach but with some great resume, but he brought the worst defensive coordinator in all of history with him. So I get to watch blown fourth quarter lead after blown fourth quarter lead. But the psychosis, it's a mental illness. Dave, why do we do it? Why do we care? I don't understand it. It's just misery. The only thing that's not misery is listening to the podcast of Shakers. You guys are the best, and we love you. Bye. All right. Uh, Sorry, I turned it up as loud as we could, and it was hard to hear. Our first deeply drunk voicemail of the of the year. Which I always love to receive. Um, the 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 question there is why do fans why are fans fans? Um, and I think if you are uh, if you are a, a quote rational fan, meaning that the losses are themselves deeply disappointing and make you question the coaching staff and everything about it, um, and you're you're looking with a critical eye, I don't have a good answer. Because it's not enjoyable for a lot of the time. Uh, and I don't think the reason people do it is necessarily for enjoyment. I think some people do. Those are what I would call the like um, true blue fans for UCLA people. But like the people who are, uh, for lack of a better word, sunshine pumping. Uh, who are in it for the fun of going to games. In it for yes. the fun of going to a tailgate. In it for the fun of, oh, God, I got an autograph from this guy. This is awesome. I love this team. Um, and they're, you know, always supporting the coach and all that kind of stuff. And they're in it for like, um, I don't know, maybe like a tribal mentality, maybe like a in-group belonging, maybe just a simple joy of watching a football game. I, I can't speak for those people because I'm not among them. Uh, what, what I have is a little bit darker, right? It's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit, uh, it's an uglier thing at the center. Um, and I think, uh, speaking for, for our man Trevor here, I think it's the same thing where it's, um, you obviously want the, the, the brass ring, you want the big positive elation, but, um, th that's not the only thing. I mean, and you're deeply invested even when it's terrible and it makes you feel bad, but you're like invested in that and invested in this idea of, oh, but it should be better if they could only do X, Y, or Z and fire this guy or maybe fire that guy. And it's, a uh, it's, a uh, it's a different thing. It's like a way to apply. Um, uh, it's like a, a, a free ability to apply critical analysis to something that like maybe you don't have as much free ability to do in a lot of different areas and talking about it at length with other people who are also doing the same thing. Like therapeutic. Um, be, be, yeah. Well, it's therapeutic, but it's also um, it's a it's not universal, but it's a. Uh, it's a way to like have a group thought about something that you can all think about obsessively and critically. Um, cause what else is there in life that you can do that with where you can obsess over it? It's basically like, um, I don't know, like trying to think about something from being a kid where it's like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't think there's anything quite like it. I think you can obsess over it safely. Uh, you can obsess over it, uh, to a great extent without, Without worrying like you're pissing somebody off, without worrying like you're uh, saying something wrong because it's all fair game in sports. Um, so I think there's just a lot of that where you can apply kind of critical brain stuff to something that is 
essentially meaningless, like inherently meaningless, like nothing matters less than sports. But at the same time, you can convince your brain nothing matters more than this. I'm going to think about this and talk about this extensively and, and you know, rue the day that Lincoln Riley ever hired Alex Grinch and talk about all the different ways this defense is failing, but it doesn't fundamentally matter. So it's 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 a way to occupy your 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 brain capacity in a way that uh, is safe. It's like a dream. <laughs> yes. Like yes. Dr- like the you- Dreams occupies your brain while you're sleeping. Yeah, it's a, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it clears out the carburetor. Nice. Yeah, uh, we got an email from Scott. Uh, quick shout out to Dave for the minutes of work he pours into this podcast every week while Ryan is constantly on vacation. Thank you, Dave. One gentleman, who is the most thin-skinned and insecure fan base in the Pac-12, and why is it Utah? Uh, Utah's definitely up there. Um, yeah. I'd say Oregon is up there too. Um, uh, yeah, probably those two. I would, uh, yeah, I kind of uh, agree. Yeah, but. I think Utah's like a little bit being nouveau riche. They still haven't accepted the fact that they've been welcomed into the club and they don't need to act like that anymore. Um, <laughs> so I think that's a bit of it. And I think with Oregon, it's maybe a little bit of that too. Like they're still relatively nouveau riche in the last 20 years. And before that, they were uh, a dog shit program. So a little bit of that, like a disrespect thing. Gotcha. I would guess. All right. So send your hate mail to David David. <laughs> All right. This is going to be our last email, too. Oh, it is? Okay. Hypothetical scenario. USC, U dollar sign C, and UCLA merge. The new university is called U dollar sign CLA, and U dollar sign C serves as the main campus, with UCLA's old campus serving as either a satellite campus or perhaps converted into a community college. Okay. Well, Pause. <laughs> There's no goddamn way that would ever happen. Which one of those campuses look better? And don't lie to yourself. <laughs> There's no parking on the one. I mean, football players got like arrested for stealing handicapped placards. And well, stuff. That's just because they wanted to park closer. Yeah. The goal is to create a super team from the two football squads. What parts of each team would you select? And would you would this super team be good enough to make the playoff? Would Chip Kelly be in charge of recruiting? I mean, I think you, if you smash together USC's offense and UCLA's defense, I think you've okay. got a playoff team. Yeah, you're probably okay. Still, even with the issues on offense for USC. And I think he's probably saying this because you could walk to the Coliseum for the game as opposed to, you know, take a helicopter. I mean, I, I will say something sacrilegious. Yeah. I do, uh, I do prefer the game day atmosphere at USC versus the Rose Bowl. Like I like the tailgating scene better at USC well, is my point. Well, it's better just because you have campus and stuff. Yeah, but, I mean I, it, that's th- a ridiculous experience, and it makes me long for the Drake Stadium stadium for UCLA. If UCLA could build, it'd be a huge boom if you could build yeah. something. Yeah. Um, there. Three. How likely do you think it is before every game, Denny Killingham locks his office door, closes the blinds, and turns on Train's greatest hits to get himself as pumped up and angry as possible? And so it says, a unlikely. B, somewhat likely. C, more than likely. D, obviously you know it. I know it. The SU admin knew it and hired him anyways. C, because I don't think anybody would have hired somebody if they knew he like trained that much. Even ASU's admin? Yeah, even ASU's admin. Really? Yeah. You know, Ray Anderson? No? Okay. And then four, do you think Pete Carroll would do it better? Would do better with the 2023 Trojans? Same coaches and roster, but Pete would have full control over playbook, personnel, etc., who has the better season? Come on. Are you kidding? Is this a joke? Apparently. Uh, thank you. Go Cougs. Fight on. Go Bruins. And fuck the Huskies from wow. Scott. Uh, yeah, obviously Pete Carroll would do a better job. Yeah. he's No I mean, question about it. He's an all-time great. There you go. 
So, uh, maybe we can do one more. Hang okay. On. Uh, right, a couple the, texts. Text message. All right. Uh, Ryan, how could you? The whole time you were talking about your pick for the Utah game, I kept thinking, don't do it, don't do it. But you did. As a Utes fan, hearing you pick them is like the kiss of death. Hopefully you can get your second game right this week. And follow up. Well, that last text didn't age well. But Ryan, congrats on getting your first Pac-12 game right for the Trojans. Uh, yes. Thank you. All right. That's probably it. Okay. So we got we to gotta end this uh, bad boy. Because David has stuff to do. Like, I'm here. I'm ready to talk to all you guys. And what what is David doing? Wait, Picking up my children from school. I mean, 150 people live on YouTube, and you're just going to leave mm-hmm. to pick up your kids? I know. That you voluntarily had? You didn't have to have them. We could have just keep doing podcasting, but no. That's true. Here you go, uh, volunteering. Uh, okay, well, that's going to wrap things up. Uh, so we will, we got to figure out, because uh, I might be golfing on Thursday. Are you morning. My friends in, from out of town, you know? I golfed yesterday. Uh, on Sunday, I was just like, Eh, I'll golf. Let everyone else do kind of the work. It was good. Um, it's good to be the boss. Just do what you want. Especially after a loss. I'm like, I don't want to deal with the message boards. Another, like, it's just a lot uh-huh. to deal with stuff. Okay, we'll figure this stuff out. David Edwards, I am Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. And we will talk to you next time. Goodbye. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus.